Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> it is always nice to see everyone here on a Sunday morning, a beautiful Sunday, Sunday morning outside. And uh, as I look out uh, there, there's one individual I wanted to make mention of this morning. It's good to see you, Charles Thomas, uh, one of our former elders uh, here. Uh, thank you for taking the time to be with us. And to all of our visitors, we're uh, glad that you took the time to worship with us here in Spiriting the Truth at Annapolis Church. Also, I wanted to make mention before we got started, Jason Hooper and his family are somewhat uh, leaving us sometime soon. I don't know, next month, I think it is or so. So we need to celebrate in the time that we've had with them and also in their transition. They're going to be transitioning to the opposite side of the United States over to uh, a beautiful, uh, where is it? Monterey, California. Uh, so uh, we're going to miss them and we uh, bid them farewell and um, and hope that they have safe travels as they transition with their two children and uh, for him and his wife. Um, this morning, if you would turn to Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, that's where we're going to begin. Um, a little bit to cover, so we're going to just get into the word this morning. Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. We talk a lot about prayer and the importance of praying in our lives. And the Bible says, Jesus teaches, this is a scripture of Jesus teaching his disciples about prayer. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Luke 11, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples in verse 2. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For, for we all forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Jesus spends a, a lot of his ministry talking about this central concept of forgiveness. You see in the, first, in the beginning of chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 2, it says, Father, hallowed be your name. Jesus talking to his father. Praise God. Look at the order of this prayer of how Jesus is teaching his disciples. And then in verse 3, he says, give us each day our daily bread. Say thank you. Trust him. Have some humility and have some gratitude in your life. In verse 4, as we said, forgive us our sins. The cornerstone of the disciples' relationship with God had to do with this concept of forgiveness. And then it goes on to lead us not into temptation. I like to often start with something funny, and I plan on doing it this morning. A minister and his wife had an appointment downtown. As most of you all know, from going downtown Annapolis, it's a little hard to find what? Parking. Exactly. You go into the District of Columbia, and you, need, you have a meeting. It's hard to find parking. And so this minister and his wife were going around the block. And they had been around and around and around and around multiple blocks, and they couldn't find a place to park. And so it was getting close to the appointment time, and the gentleman said, the minister said, well, I, honey, I, I've got to park somewhere. So he found a, what looked to be an open spot, and he parked. And his wife said, I don't know if you should do this, honey. But he said, we've got to get to this appointment, honey. And so he parked and he left a note. He, he scribed out a quick note and he said, it said, Mr. Officer, 
I had circled this block seven times and cannot find an open spot to park my car. If I don't park now, I will be late for my appointment. And then in big, bold letters, he wrote, forgive us our trespasses. Well, he went on into his appointment, and then he came back out with his wife. He and his wife went in. They came back out. They got back to their car. And sure enough, the police, uh, police officer had conveniently put a ticket uh, on his windshield, under his windshield wiper, as many of us have seen before. But the, but the officer left a note for the minister. And the note said, Mr. Mrs., I have circled this neighborhood for 10 years. And if I don't issue you a ticket, I might lose my job. And then in big, bold letters, the officer wrote to the minister, lead us not unto temptation. <laughs> and so sometimes we must understand this, for, this principle of forgiveness. The deepness of the word forgive. The book of Ezra today, we're going to take some time to go through uh, because we serve a God that is able. We serve a God that is able to do more than we can imagine. A God that is powerful in might. Ezra was a priest. Ezra was a scribe. A great leader of his time. Ezra in the Hebrew means the word help. Ezra spent a life of service to the Lord. Ezra knew God's word. He believed it and he obeyed it. Ezra fell in humility before God and prayed for the nation of Israel upon learning of the Israelite sin of intermarriage and idolatry. And you, you can see that in Ezra chapter 9 and verse 15. You can see the need for forgiveness and how that touched Ezra deeply in chapter 10 and verse 1. His response helped guide the people back to God and God's ways. Second Chronicles ends with the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. Ezra picks up with two field trips, two field trips, two caravans back to the promised land, heading out from Babylon back to Jerusalem. If you would turn over to chapter 1. We're going to speed read the Cliff Notes version rather quickly and we'll come back to some details. In chapter 1, King Cyrus decreed to allow the Jews to return was given. In chapter 2, you'll see Zerubbabel's pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. In chapter 3, after arriving, they began to build the altar and the temple foundation. In chapter 4, the opposition and the damage uh, to the focus of, the, of God's people. In chapter 5, you'll see the prophets Haggai and Zechariah and their encouragement to the people and how that changed the people. In chapter 6, you'll see King Darius is decreed that work should proceed unhindered on the temple. After 58 years, after a 58-year gap, Ezra led a second journey, a second field trip that took four months, armed with a passport, the authority from King Artaxerxes I to administer the affairs of the land, chapter 7 and chapter 8 of Ezra. 
In chapter 9, after arriving and seeing the sin of intermarriage and with the pagan neighbors and idolatry that, all the idolatry that was going on, Ezra began weeping and began praying. In chapter 10, his humble example of confession and prayer and intercession led to a national revival. There are loads of principles here in these short 10 chapters of Ezra, and I want to share a few of them with you this morning. And so for the next few moments, I want to springboard from the subject, our help to see the good. Our help to see the good. If you would, turn back with me to the end of 2 Chronicles, the end of 2 Chronicles, just before Ezra, and look at chapter 36, because in this chapter, Judah is exiled to Babylon. If you would, chapter 36 of 2 Chronicles, chapter 36, verse, verse 15, the Bible says, the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them through his messenger again and again, because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. Verse 16, but they mocked God's messenger messengers, despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. Verse 17, he brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and spared neither young men nor young women, old men or aged. God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 18, he carried to Babylon all the articles of the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of God's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials. In verse 19, they set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall, wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. In verse 20, he carried into exile to Babylon the remnant, who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. Verse 21, the land enjoyed its Sabbath rests all the time, and its desolation it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. In verse 22, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, King Cyrus of Persia to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. Now we're going to see the end of 2 Chronicles is begins, you can see the beginning of Ezra come out here. In verse 23, this is what Cyrus, king of Persia says, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any one of his people among you, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. And so we arrive at the beginning of Ezra. A destroyed Jerusalem, a destroyed temple, and the book opens with King Cyrus deciding to build the temple. It being recorded in Ezra at the beginning in chapter 1, if you look in verse 2 of Ezra, chapter 1, verse 2, this is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. 
The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build the temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. You see, we serve a God that is able. No matter what King Cyrus's motives really were, whether they were to create loyalty amongst those that were going back to Jerusalem or whether they were for a geographic buffer zone so that he would know who was coming out of the West, God can use us and God is able. And so we have the release of the exiles from Babylon that are going and traveling back to Jerusalem. You can see how many went, as I mentioned in chapter 2. Look in chapter 2. If you see in chapter 2, you'll see in verse number 2 of chapter 2, in company with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and many more that are listed. And then it says, the list of men of the people of Israel, the descendants of, the men of, the priests, the Levites in verse 40, in verse 41, the singers in chapter 2, the gatekeepers of the temple in chapter 42, in chapter 40, excuse me, in verse 42, in verse 43, the temple servants, in verse 55 of chapter 2, the descendants of the servants of Solomon. And so we get down to chapter 2, verse 64, and the Bible tells us the whole company numbered 42,000 besides their 7,337 men servant and maid servants. That's just short of 50,000 people began to make their journey back from Babylon to Jerusalem. And when they get there, the Bible says when they get there in verse thir- three, in chapter three, the people begin to rebuild. The temple. The first thing that they build, if you look in verse number three, despite their fear of the people around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. Verse four of chapter three, then in accordance with what is written, they celebrated. Look in verse seven. Then they went on to start the rebuild of the temple. Verse seven, then they gave money. To the Masons, chapter 3, verse 7, Masons and carpenters, and gave food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre, so that they would, they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa, as authorized by Cyrus, king of Persia. In verse 8, in the second month of the second year, After their their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of, son of, and the rest of their brothers, it says, began the work. The work of what? They began the work of rebuilding the temple. If you look in verse 9, Jeshua and his sons and brothers and his sons and other sons, and look in verse 10. It says, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets, with cymbals, took their place to praise the Lord, as prescribed by David, king of Israel. In verse 11, with praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, as our scripture read, he is good. His love to Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout 
of the praise of the, uh, of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was raised what was was laid what's the message uh, to us uh, today these people had not finished building the entire temple what did they just what did they finish nothing more than the foundation the foundation of the temple was finished and what were they doing they were celebrating. And so the, what's the message to us today in that celebration? What's the message? What is the principle for us today? Not everything in life needs to be finished before we have a small celebration. The Lord wants us to be able to celebrate the small victories. This was a victory to get back to Jerusalem. This was a victory to lay the foundation. And there was reason for these people to celebrate. What happened after they celebrated? Look in verse 4. You'll see opposition. Ezra tells us you'll see opposition in verse number 3 of chapter 4. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and, his, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel. And, oh, let's go back up. Uh, let's go back up to, to ch chapter 4, verse 2. Actually, let's start with one. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and said, let us help you build because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of the king of Assyria who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, in, in verse 3, Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered you have no part of us in building the temple of our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. What's the message and what's the principle for us today? Sometimes it's good to say thanks, but no thanks. When you know the motives of others, sometimes it's good to say no. I believe that's part of the message of what God is giving us today, that sometimes things are not as they might appear. And we as his church and we as Christians need to be extremely careful with the acts and though of those around us. So sometimes it's OK to say thanks, but no thanks. In verse 4, then the people around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They, hired, they, they, they didn't just uh, discourage them, but the next verse says in verse 5, they went on to hire counselors to work against them as far as to frustrate their plans during the entire reign of King Cyrus of Persia. That's not me saying that, that's what the book says here. And so you end up with folks that can get discouraged. And that's what happened here. They were discouraged. And we ended up, the good Lord sent the prophets. You can see this in, verse, in chapter 5. God sent the prophet Haggai and the prophet Zechariah to help encourage them. They had finished the, laying the temple foundation. And 16 years went by. 
So you ask, what happened in those 16 years? What caused the associated discouragement? Turn over. I'll answer your question real quick. Two, two, chapter, uh, two chapters. Turn over to Haggai, if you would. The book of Haggai. Because Haggai had to prophesy to these folks in order to get them to understand one important point, and that is priorities. In your life, you have to ask yourself, in your families, you have to ask yourself, what are your priorities? Because the folks of this time, as they were getting discouraged, they went back, they built the foundation, they had a celebration, and then they ended up getting discouraged. So they didn't finish the temple, and they didn't finish the temple for 16 years. If you go over to Haggai, if you don't keep your priorities straight, then you will find yourself not where you want to be. They started with the temple, and they started with the right attitudes in life, but they slipped into wrong behavior. Look in verse number 5 of chapter 1 of Haggai. The Bible says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have, pl you have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. You ever put a quarter or a dime or a nickel in your pocket that has a hole? What happens to it? Now walk through a field and then come out on the other end and try to find the penny. It's challenging. It's difficult. Look in verse 7 of chapter 1. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains in ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. These folks were too busy with their own house that they weren't focused on building God's temple again. They had gotten off as far as their priorities were concerned. And so now they go through this for near 16 years before. Look at, look at verse chapter 2. <clears throat> chapter 2 of, of Haggai. It goes on in verse 4. But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of the high priest. Be strong, all of you people of the land, declares the Lord. What's God really saying here? He's saying, finish what you started. Get your priorities in check and finish what you started. Finish my temple. And so in verse 15 of chapter 2, and again, there's only two chapters, I encourage you to go, don't believe me, go read it for yourselves. Chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible says, now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. Look down at verse 18 of chapter 2 of Haggai. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give, laid. give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine of the fig tree 
and the, and the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. What's the principle God's really teaching us today out of that? I believe in today's terms, he's telling us you ain't seen nothing yet. You have not seen anything yet. God, God often sends his encouragement and approval with our first few steps. And so let's not miss that message because it goes on in chapter Haggai and chapter, in chapter 2 verse 23. The last set of scriptures of the whole book, it says in verse 23, on that day declares the Lord Almighty. You, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of, declares the Lord. And I will make you like a signet ring for I have chosen you, declares the Lord. That's a tremendous affirmation for us. Because God has chosen you. God has chosen me. What's a signet ring? It's used to guarantee the authority or authenticity of a letter. It could serve as the signature, so to speak, to a written document. It was a sure stamp. And so God is saying similar to us. We are a sure stamp if we will let him use us in the work of the Lord. And so this is the message that Haggai is taking back to these discouraged people that are now in Jerusalem. They've got a foundation that they've celebrated and they have worked on their own homes for 16 years and here we are, what's going to happen and what's the, what, what happens out of that prophecy? If you would, turn back to Ezra. Ezra chapter 6. Because this is when you see Ezra chapter 6 and verse 14, where we see the completion and we see the dedication of the temple. Ezra chapter 6 verse 14 says, So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper until the preaching of Haggai, the prophet and Zechariah, a descendant of Edo, they finished building the temple according to the command of the God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. The temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar, in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. And then look in verse 16. The Bible says, Then the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. For the dedication of this house of God, they offered a hundred bulls, two hundred rams, four hundred male lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, twelve male goats, and one of each for the tribes of Israel. And then we see Ezra enter the story. Ezra returned to the land for a, with a second group of exiles. Eighty years after Zerubbabel, Ezra found the temple rebuilt, but the lives of the people were in shambles. Intermarriage and foreigners opposed to God threatened the spiritual future of the nation. And so we see a decree, if you look in verse 7, verse 13, we see a decree that's given by the king for Ezra to go do his business, to travel the four months. The king gave him his passport to go back to Jerusalem and to take stock at what happened. And what happened when he got there, turn to verse nine, chapter 9. Chapter 9, what Ezra found after verse 1. 
After these things had been done, the leaders came to me and said, the people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring people with their detestable practices. For those of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Am Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians and the Amorites, they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons and have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them. And the leaders and officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. What's the principle for us today? I believe God is trying to teach us today that we need to be very careful at who we marry. Find someone who, and I'm not talking about races, find someone who is committed Someone who is obedient to God and God's message. Don't get caught up in idolatry of the world. Find someone who has the right priorities in their lives. And if you've already found them, then you need to help them ensure that their priorities are in alignment with the scriptures. This is not me telling you that. This is what the Bible says. Look in verse 5 of chapter 9. Then at the evening sacrifice, I rose up, my self-abasement, with my tunic and my cloak torn, and I fell to my knees, and my hands spread out to the Lord my God and prayed. When you have nowhere else to go and you don't know what else to do, what do you do? What did Ezra do? It's the same thing we as his children need to do today. Ezra got up, Ezra fell down, and Ezra prayed. And so that's the message really for us. It's repeated again in chapter 10. In chapter 10, if you look at verse number 4, the Bible says in verse number 4, what did Ezra do? He rose up, verse 4, rise up, this matter is in your hands. We will support you, so take courage and do it. These are the people. In verse 6, so Ezra rose up and put the leading priests and Levites and all Israel under oath. And you go down, they gathered people. If you look in verse 9 of chapter 10, they gathered people in three days. All the men of Judah and Benjamin had gathered in Jerusalem. And then if you go down in verse number 16, so the exiles did as was, was proposed. Ezra the priest selected men who were, who were family heads, one from each family division, and all of them designated by name. On the first day of the 10th month, they sat down to investigate the cases. And by the first day of the first month, they finished dealing with all the men who had married foreign women. And so you see the end. You see the end of Ezra. So as God's children, we must learn to celebrate the little things. Celebrate the incompleteness. The mistake we sometimes make as his children today is that we wait for total victory. And the key is that we must celebrate along the way. I'm not out of total debt, but I paid down one credit card. We must celebrate. I haven't lost all the weight that I want to lose, but we must celebrate if we've lost five pounds. Maybe I don't have my college degree yet, but I'm done being a freshman and I'm done being a sophomore and there's reason to celebrate. We are so focused on the completion that we miss and we take for granted the small victories in this life. Oh, little Brady, he may not be on track, but he was nice this morning, he was kind this morning, and he was considerate and he was respectful this morning. 
And so that is a partial victory. Jesus, you see, only the disciples only brought back to Jesus um, two fish and five loaves of bread, right? That's what the Bible teaches us. At the end of the day, what did God, what did Jesus do with those two fish and five loaves? He could have said, God could have said, you know, this isn't enough to feed 5,000. Y'all go back and get some more. But what did Jesus do? You can see it in Matthew. You can see it in Mark. You can see it in Luke. You can see it in John. The Bible teaches us God said, thank you. Are you complaining about the partial? Or are you celebrating what God has done? Are you so focused on how far you have to go that you're missing the miracles along the way? You haven't broken that addiction, whatever it may be. But have you resisted that addiction one time? Start thanking God every time you do. You're here today. You're not in the clubs. You're not in bed. You're here. There's reason to thank the Lord for bringing you here today. Be grateful for the small. Our kids and children get it. You know, they score a goal in soccer and they're all excited because that was a success. That success helps give, give us strength, determination, encouragement to keep going. If our kids can get it, so can we. Jonah, if you think about Jonah, in, he was told to go where? Told to go to Nineveh. Where did he go? The opposite direction. Nineveh was like, you know, north, east, east. Where did he go? He went west. What happened? He got caught up in the belly of, the fish, of a fish. But instead of Jonah complaining about all that was going on, he wasn't dead. He said, I offer unto you a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. There's plenty of things that Jonah could have complained about. But he found the capacity to stay, uh, that he found the capacity to thank God because he was alive and the Lord was able. He wasn't out of the belly of the well. He wasn't delivered, but at least his life was spared. I have one more scripture to share with you today, and the lesson's yours. Turn over to Genesis chapter 1, for very familiar scripture. Genesis chapter 1. The Bible says here in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In verse 2, in verse 3, uh, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good and separated the, the light from the darkness. Verse 5, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. We've been spending some time in our, in our um, Sunday school class in the mornings going through Genesis. But if you, this concept of understanding and appreciating and thanking God for the good is all written throughout many scriptures in our, in our Bible. But this is one where in the beginning, what did God call light after he created it? God saw the light was what? Good. Look at the end of, uh, of, of uh, verse 9. After day one, after light was created, God hadn't, create, God hadn't created the mountains. He hadn't created land. Bible says those were created on a different day. 
But after this day, what did God take the time to do? He took the time to say the light was good. What happened in day two? God created the sky and the waters. You can see that in Genesis chapter one. At the end of day two, what did God say? In verse nine, the Bible says at the end, verse 10, God called the dry land and gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. At the end of day three, land and the sea were created. End of day four, sun, moon, and stars were all created. After each and every time, God said it was good. And then day six happened. Animals were made. Man and, and woman were taken care of on the earth. And look, look in verse number 31, the very last uh, uh, verse in chapter 1. God saw all that he had made, and he didn't say it was good. God said it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. God celebrated along the way. Nothing was perfect of his creation at the beginning of day one or day two or day three. But God still took the time to celebrate. Do we take the time to celebrate in our lives for the small, for the partial, for the not, not yet finished? Because guess what? We're not finished as his children. If you don't learn to see the good in the unfinished, you will never get to the very good. Be thankful and grateful for the good. Sometimes we think, when I meet the right person, when I break that addiction, when I build my new home, when I get the money to move from my apartment, when we get elders here at the Annapolis Church, then I will praise God, and then I will say, it's good. But guess what? We're unfinished. We have some room to grow in him. That's not how it works. God wants us as his children to celebrate the incomplete, to celebrate the partial. And so we've, we have to praise him for the partial, find something good in everything that we do. Believe it or not, I don't like getting up here and speaking before you. But I will tell you that I go, I'm going home today and I'm going after this sermon to have a celebration. If nobody else celebrates you in the work that you do, celebrate yourself. And you can celebrate yourself very quietly with God because of who you belong to. You belong to him. You can say, Lord, thank you that you brought me through. And I can say thank you for bringing me through another lesson. Thank you that you didn't let me get discouraged. Thank you that I didn't listen to the critics. Lord, thank you for blessing me with mind, body, and spirit. If no one will celebrate you, celebrate yourself. Have your own celebration. Thank him for being able. Thank him for where you are in life. Thank him for what he has brought you through. Thank him for his favor. Thank him for fighting your battles. Look, all we, have, we all have flaws and we all have shortcomings, but don't dwell on them there. We all have bad habits to overcome. The enemy doesn't want us to celebrate ourselves and the victories that we have in the Lord. Learn to celebrate the good, the season that you are in. Now, I'm not saying to rest on your laurels, to rest on the season, because God didn't rest until the seventh day. But thank God for the good. Some folks smoke cigarettes. But hey, maybe they didn't smoke five today. Maybe they only smoked four and a half. Thank God for the good. Maybe you have a problem with cookies, 
But maybe you didn't eat five. Maybe you only ate four. Thank God for only eating four. Don't go out and celebrate with, uh, um, you know, cheesecake or something for not eating that fifth one. But thank God for the good. Traffic, thank God you're driving in a car when somebody cuts you off and you can actually let them in. Thank God because you are not a finished product. And so these principles, I'm done. They apply to relationships in home, in your homes. They, they apply to us as a church family. They apply to your children. They apply to your grandchildren. When we focus on the good in relationships, God will get us a lot farther along. If you praise God for the 30 good qualities in your husband, the three bad qualities of him, one of them not letting the seat down, then you will come to appreciate. And so, like the exiles returned to Jerusalem, to the struggle to rebuild the temple, they understood the principle of celebrating small victories. Let us take hold of God's intended blessing in helping us to see very good and the good in our lives. The lesson is yours today. Whatever your need may be, please come as we together stand and sing.